Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Welcome back to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Torres, and I'm going to be your host today. Listen, we've got a really good episode for you today. And I know I say that every time. I really mean it because we're talking about my favorite team, the New York Yankees. We've also got a great guest. Brian Hoke of MLB.com is going to be joining us in a few minutes to talk about the Aaron Judge signing, Carlos Rodon, much, much more. But you know why I also feel good today? I am wearing my El Duque jersey from 1999. That's right. This baby is a one of one. Not only does it have the 1998 World Series patch on the sleeve, but the name on the back says El Duque, not Hernandez. This was before Players Weekend and all that stuff became cool. I wore this all the time when I was in high school, and I felt like that made me unique. You know, everybody my age was into Jeter, Bernie, Mariano. Me, I had to be a little bit different, a little against the grain. And I chose El Duque as my favorite player. I got all his rookie cards. I wore the jersey. And listen to this. I used to be in my room by myself and just repeatedly mimic his signature leg kick. You know how he would do that thing where he would lift his leg above his head and as part of his pitching wind up? Yeah, I would do that while I was like watching TV or, or just in my room with nothing else to do. Really sick stuff. Somehow, I turned out to be a functioning adult and had someone of the opposite sex actually show some interest in me, which is frankly amazing. I don't know. Maybe it was a jersey that really attracted my wife. We'll have to get her on some time to get her thoughts. But I literally, I can smell the teenage angst and the B.O. of 16-year-old Torres as I wear this right now. But 36-year-old me, feeling good. Probably not smelling the best right now, but that's all right. Let me bring in my co-host, Carlos Mercano, my friend. How you smelling today? And how you feeling about the A's making a big splash in free agency signing oh, Trevor Christ. May for $9 million. What? That's like like signing Mike Trout for the A's, you know? That's, that's, that's the, the, the that's biggest big contract. Deal. Yeah, that's the big, biggest contract you will ever see. From the I mean, nine line. million isn't that like probably at least a quarter of their entire payroll, right? For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a mediocre I'm, middle reliever. I, I, I'm I'm afraid they're gonna cut stuff like like I don't know water in the clubhouse or something so they can pay. Right, <laughs> they're exactly. gonna be able to pay me or something. I'm 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 scared of what's going to happen. But. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry <laughs> about you being an A's fan. That is oh, that is super Jesus depressing. Uh, I, you know, I know we talked in the chat about it. I, yeah. I don't even know if it's worth doing an episode on the A's. Oh my! You know, God. because it, it's I don't even consider them a major league team at this point. It's yeah. it's an absolute embarrassment, disgrace. I, honestly, I don't even know like why bother signing Trevor May for that much money when uh, the rest of the know. team is not even. I don't uh, even know if they're triple A level. And don't don't be surprised if they get Eric Hosmer now that, that no yeah. one wants him. You know, it just you know to steer things up and, and do some. Well, he's probably I mean, free, it, right? So that that's right up the yeah. alley. 
that's their favorite uh, amount of money free. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. I mean, it, it's really bad to be a, a an ace fan, but. Let let let's cheer these up, man. <laughs> I, yeah, what am I, I what am I doing? I'm bringing the A's yeah. into it to be a very a good, exciting episode. We got a lot of things happening with the Yankees, so forget the A's. All right, we we may not even talk about them again. Um, but Carlos, want to know just what are you hoping to get out of this interview uh, with Brian Hoke today? Oh man, this is this is the the team of the hour. All those big, well, they resigned the. Biggest start in the game right now, which doesn't need introduction, right? They don't judge. And, and now they got one of the best, probably the, the best left-hander uh, starting pitcher in the game right now. Uh, some might say that the best left-handed. When he's healthy, he's just nasty. So that that rotation, man, that, that looks good. I'm, I'm happy for you, you know? Uh, I'm not usually so kind. With Yankees uh, fans, but uh, I mean, but you know me uh, now, and you you yeah. softened your stance a little bit, right? Yeah, well, I'm representing them well. Well, I'm, well, I'm getting old, so I, I get softer, you know. So, so uh, <laughs> you, you got me when when I got soft. So, what what can I do? I think it's good for the for the show. It's good for the business that that teams invest all this this money. Whatever the Mets are doing, and and I, I mean that that's pocket change for those guys, and they are putting all the come on. It, it's great. I'm I'm happy that that happened. Yeah, I mean we're we're getting a, a case of the haves and the have-nots, right? You have the teams that are willing to spend, that that really you know want to win, uh, and then you just have the A's and and teams like that that are just content. It seems like. Uh, pocketing the fans money whatever fans they have left and uh it, yeah it's a shame but listen we're not going to focus on that again we're going to focus on a team that is spending money making some big moves and uh to help it break it all help us break all of it down we've got brian hope of mlb.com uh brian we are so excited to have you on let me just introduce you also as the author of the upcoming book 62 Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees, and the pursuit of greatness. I'm sure many Yankee fans are uh, looking forward to checking that out. So uh, I know you're coming on at a, at a busy time. Honestly, I didn't even know if you'd be able to come on with every with the Rodon signing and so much going on. So we we appreciate you making the time. How you doing? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. No, I uh, definitely uh, wanted to make this work. So uh, happy to be on with you and chat a little bit about all things Yankees. But yeah, you're right. It has been a busy time. There's uh, no rest on the Yankee beat. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I got to ask you about this. This is, I want to get your perspective as a, a beat writer. When you have something like the Rodon sign, you know, we kind of, we had an idea that this was a strong possibility, right? There were a lot of rumors that Yankees were going to make a move on him. What is it like as a beat writer, just knowing that's out there? You know, and, and I assume there's a, a desire to be the first one to have the news. And, you know, I'm just wondering, like, is it like constant anxiety when you have a situation like that? Like you just have to be plugged in? What What is that experience like? I, I think I would describe the entire experience of being a beat writer as constant anxiety. Okay. If it's not Rodon, it's it's something else. And you can't you can't be first on everything. And, you know, you want to be, of course, but uh, you understand that. It's like the waves of the ocean. If you miss that one, there's always another one coming because this this beat is constantly making news. And already this offseason, you've seen them. But they, they re-signed Anthony Rizzo. They made the big deal for Aaron Judge. They made the smaller signing of Tommy Canely. And then 
Uh, you had the Carlos Verdon thing. So none of those, well, with the exception of Canely, I guess, I, I didn't see that one coming. The other ones, I guess you could have predicted. Uh, it was just a matter of when they were going to get those done. And, you know, and today Andrew Benintendi goes to the White Sox. I didn't necessarily see that coming. I thought that there was a, a decent chance he'd be coming back to the Bronx. But you see the uh, the length of that contract, five years. I, I didn't think the Yankees wanted to go to that length for Benintendi. And so uh, now they move on to their other options there. And I never felt that it was Benintendi or bust the way it, it was with Judd, where if they didn't bring back Aaron Judge, I didn't know what plan B was going to be. And I guess they could have just thrown money at every single free agent out there. But uh, I, fortunately, I guess we'll, we'll never find out what they would have done if Judge had gone to the Giants. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. I was so relieved when I, when I saw the news. Uh, but yeah, And I was relieved last night when I saw that Rodon sign. So I uh, want to start there. What are your thoughts on the signing in general? And what do you think are like the second order effects of this move in terms of the rotation and in terms of um, uh, moves that are going to come after this? I think it gives them probably the most formidable rotation in the American League. I mean, you're going to have Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon one, two in a playoff series. I'll, I'll take my chances with that. And then with Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, now Frankie Montas, your number five starter. And I, I know injuries happen, you know, crazy stuff can happen during the course of 162. But on paper, that looks pretty strong to me. And I, I thought even yeah. before Rodon, I liked the, the way their rotation was shaping up because you know, in a in a playoff series, you're only going to have the first three or four guys start anyway. And then uh, now you move. Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt, you know, I guess Davey Garcia back down the pecking order there. And it just makes them all the more deeper. And I think that Rodon is something special. He was obviously the uh, the top free agent arm still available on the market after Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander came off the board. And so uh, he's a guy the Yankees have liked a lot for a long time. He's, he really seems to have put it together. The question was never stuff with him. It was health. And he's been healthy. so. If he can go out and make your, I'm not going to say 32 because, you know, how many guys do make 32 starts these days? But if he can make your 27, 28, 29 starts for you and then be ready when the, the bell rings in the playoffs, then uh, you get enough of those guys piled up there, you really can start setting up a, a rotation that you feel good about going in October. Definitely, definitely. That looks amazing. And, and thinking about it, uh, Brent, do you think there's another potential move that we can could see? following these big ones in the offseason, something else that the Yankees might be pursuing? Yeah, I, they're not done yet. And, uh, you know, that's what people were saying after the judge signing. They were saying, oh, the Yankees aren't going to do anything else. I said, no, you can't just re-sign Aaron Judge and run it back with the same group that got swept by the Astros. You got to do more than that. Yeah. And I, I still think they have to do more. And that was the one thing that Hal Steinbrenner talked to Judge about when they met in Tampa face to face. And uh, Judd said, look, I, we're not there. Like, what are we going to do to make this team better if I do come back? And Al Steinbrenner promised him, he said that I ha we can do enough to satisfy whatever your contract takes and do more this offseason. And so they've done more by bringing in Rodon, but there's still more to do here. And left field is the area that I'm looking at the most. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, with Benintendi now off the board, Right now, if they had to start the season today, unfortunately they don't, your, your starting left fielder is either Aaron Hicks or Oswaldo Cabrera, and you could get by with that, I guess, but it's not what yeah. you want to go into the, the season with. And so uh, I definitely think whether it's 
making a trade for Brian Reynolds, which I know that the fans all want, or maybe a smaller move for a guy like Max Kepler who can go play good defense out there. Uh, you, you sign maybe a reclamation project like a Michael Brantley or a Michael Conforto. To me, it's a couple of years too late on Brantley. I'd rather go to Conforto, but there's a lot of ways they can go there. I just don't see how they go. They make these moves. They spend all that money on Judge, all on Rodon, and then they go in bringing back Aaron Hicks again. Uh, I think there's got to be a trade coming up there where you can move Hicks along. It's best for both parties to kind of change the scenery there and uh, start fresh in left field. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, uh, well, obviously, Brian Reynolds, he's going to be more expensive. Uh, but a guy like Max Kepler, I think he's a, a perfect fit, good defender, uh, could take advantage of that short porch. They need a lefty bat. Their their lineup is way too right-handed right now. So I think he'd be just a perfect uh, fit for them. Uh, one player currently on the team that I'm hearing a lot of rumors about is Glaber Torres. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of scratching my head on that one. Um, so I want to ask you, how likely do you think it is that Glaber Torres gets traded? And why do you think the Yankees appear to be so motivated to move him right now? I, I think he's a guy that teams are going to ask about just because they have the same questions that we do about Glaber is where does he fit in on this Yankee team? Is, is he a starter in the infield? We don't know. And so I think that alone makes him available. The fact they talked about him going to the Marlins in August for Pablo Lopez and you know, even though that wasn't as close as uh, media reports were painting it to be at the time, it was still on the table. Glaber was very much available for the right offer, as are most guys. And so I think that it, at this stage of his career, you know, Glaber, for, for a couple of years there in the beginning, it looked like he was not only going to be a perennial all-star, but this guy might be going to Cooperstown. And he's come, he's come off that um, considerably here. And so it's like, where does Glaber fit in? Is, is he your starting second baseman we don't know with if dj lemayhu is going to be healthy if dj's not ready for opening day then i think that increases the importance that the yankees hold on to glaber and that's why i don't see the yankees doing anything with glaber until they know what dj's health status is going to be and we're going to find that out pretty soon here i, I think it's coming up uh sometime between christmas and new year's we should have a better clarification of if dj is going to be able to avoid surgery and if he, if he needs surgery, he's out for opening day. Uh, but if he yeah. can continue kind of rehabbing this, I know he's been in Tampa taking ground balls and hitting a little bit, which is a good sign. Um, I think that if he can avoid surgery, then you can realistically start to think about, all right, he's going to be ready for opening day. And then maybe if the right deal's on the table, um, one of these trades we talked about, or maybe something that uh, Cashman's got cooking that we haven't even thought of, uh, maybe Glaber could be in that. Yeah, I feel like Cashman always throws us a, a curveball at some point during the offseason <laughs> with yeah. an unexpected move. I, yeah. With Glaber, you know, and I'm not biased just because I have the same last name, no relation, but <laughs> uh, I just, I feel like the expectations that the organization, the fans had for him when he came over as like the number one prospect or big time prospect and, you know, how he started out so well. I wonder if it's just kind of like giving us this unrealistic perception of him. I, I feel like he's still a good player, you know, like he's a, in my right. opinion, at least he's a starting, uh, a quality starting second baseman, but it seems like the Yankees are, uh, are, are definitely exploring the possibility of moving him. So I don't know. I just find that kind of odd, but, uh, switching gears a, a little bit because there, there are sometimes things that people don't talk too much. And, and one thing that, that, it's interesting is the impact 
of Luis Rojas in, as the third baseman, the third base coach with the Jackies, and and the increased aggressiveness and, and improved success of on the bat, base paths uh, last year. Um, do you do you have a, a, I don't know the feeling of what what Luis Rojas meant last year and and his impact in in the team? I, I think Rojas was a good fit on the coaching staff, but as far as them being aggressive, I think that was organizationally top to bottom. Um, you know, I, I remember I was in Tampa during the lockout and I was in minor league camp and I was watching these guys and I was like, wow, they are running a ton. Even in intra-squad games, they were taking extra bases. They were stealing bases, you know, in games that didn't even count. And I remember taking note of that. And then um, I, the name is escaping me, but the Yankees brought out Uh, this director of base running, a guy that they had uh, throughout the entire minor league system. And I wrote it at the time and uh, you know, I apologize for not coming up with the name, but uh, that was a definite focus where they wanted to get away from being so station to station. And they, they really were for so many years, a team that just sat around yeah. and wait for the three run Homer and, and they live and die by that. And look, home runs are great, but you have to be able to manufacture a little bit. And I feel like that's an area where the Yankees, Knew they could get better at it. Uh, they had younger, more athletic guys, certainly coming up through the pipeline. But you even saw that at the big league level this this past year. I mean, how many times did Aaron Judge steal bases? You got a guy hitting 62 home runs and he's stealing bases too. And um, so yeah. I think that, you know, top to bottom in the organization, all the way down to, to rookie ball and then coming up uh, to the big league level, they have made it a focus that they want to be less of that station-to-station -station team. And I think you just saw, you saw the start of it uh, this past year, and I expect that that's something that will continue in, in 23 and 24 and beyond. Yeah, and as fantasy baseball players, by the way, have you, have you ever played fantasy baseball? A little bit. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. <laughs> you It's need so any pointers. I got you, man. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I, I want to. Um, yeah, back in high school, I used to do it a lot. But uh, now I got, I got my hands full with uh, the actual Yankees. It's hard to yeah. keep up with my yeah, own fantasy a little busy. and yeah. the other team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. But as fantasy baseball players, we, we love stolen bases. So like when a guy like yeah. Aaron Judge, I mean, he was obviously like a, a league winner hitting 62 home runs, but also chipping in. I think he had, what was it, 16 or 19 stolen bases on top of that? About that? Just ridiculous. Uh, so uh, kind of piggybacking off of that question, uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of changes this year with the rules, and we're going to have bigger bases, no shift. The pitch clock is going to be in place. So I'm wondering, Brian, which players do you think are going to be most impacted by this year's rule changes, either positively or negatively? And, you know, I, I asked this question because obviously you know these players at a deeper level than we do. So I'm wondering if you just have like any insight into, like, for example, a, a player who, I don't know, is very set in their ways and is going to have a tough time mm -hmm. with the clock or someone who's like very like, oh, well, now I have this advantage with a bigger base. I'm going to take advantage of that. Like, do you have any insight into players that might uh, be impacted by this? Yeah, I, I am curious to see how. A guy like, for example, Garrett Cole deals with the pitch clock, um, you know, just because every time you kind of add new things around. Uh, but I think that spring training, it'll be an even playing field for everybody and they'll, they'll get used to it pretty quickly. And I think I, I don't know if we're going to see that much of a difference. I don't know if a guy is going to steal second base just because he knows the base is a little bigger. I don't know if that's going to impact your decision that much. I mean, it may. But I, I think. The shift is really where I think you're going to see the biggest difference in guys. And 
I mean, the, the first name that comes to my mind is Joey Gallo, who just signed uh, with the Twins. I think he's going to benefit greatly. Guys like that. Um, I, I remember reading Corey Seager lost, I think, 20-something hits to the shift last year, which is significant. Um, but on this Yankee team, I think Anthony Rizzo is a guy that his batting average is going to tick up because of the shift, uh, because of, there's no more shift there, and they can't play three defenders on the right side or have a guy stationed in the outfield. I think that's going to be big for him. And you know, I expect offensive numbers to, to go up slightly uh, around the game. But for a guy like Rizzo, I mean, if Mark Teixeira was still around, he'd be a prime candidate for that. Because I remember talking to Mark about the shift when teams started doing that. And he was so stubborn and set in his ways about, no, I'm not going to go down the third baseline. I'm not going <laughs> to settle for a single because my job is to hit home runs. And I just have to hit it over the guys. And Well, how did that work out? You know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he should have taken a few more of those freebies down the third baseline. But Rizzo's not quite to that extreme, but uh, I think it's going to help him. And, you know, on this Yankee team, he's he's probably one of the guys who's going to benefit the most from these rule changes. <laughs> yeah, well, Rizzo, the, not a, a 224 hitter. You know, I, I, I think no, the yeah. shift really had an impact on him. So we're definitely, uh, I think we, we can expect an improvement there. The, the other thing that we fantasy baseball players love uh, besides uh, stolen bases is finding out safes. So that that's like the holy grail for us. Mm. Where where are the safe? And and as assuming that he's healthy, what what percentage of like could do you think Clay Holmes is going to be the Yankees closer? I would say close to a hundred percent to start the year, and you know, assuming he stays healthy and productive, it's probably pretty high. I, I think that he would be. If I was a fantasy baseball player and I'm looking to find saves on the Yankees. I would say draft Clay Holmes, but if you can't get Clay Holmes, get Jonathan Lewiska. I think those are the two guys who uh, are most likely to, to be getting save opportunities for this team. Uh, Lewiska has got electric stuff. I, I just think that if Holmes falters at some point, whether it's a injury or ineffectiveness, I think Lewiska yeah. would be the next guy up there on the pecking order. I get, I guess Tommy Canley could be in that mix too, but I think Lewiska would be my second choice. Okay. Well, there's, there's a good little nugget for, uh, us fantasy baseball players hopefully you could give us another one here uh how do you see the <laughs> shortstop battle playing out between anthony volpe oswald peraza and ikf yeah i, I think that they're going to give those kids a, a real legitimate chance to step up be the opening day shortstop and I, I i don't think that there's a real appetite for for ikf to come back and be the opening day shortstop but i'm not ruling that out either i i think that they're going to give the kids a real chance in spring training. I think Peraza is more likely than Volpe just based on he's already done it at the big league level. Uh, Volpe hardly played a triple A last year. I, I could see a situation where Volpe comes into camp, does really well, but still starts a year at triple A, gets a couple months there. And then, you know, maybe by the all-star break, maybe by June, you're talking about promoting him uh, if he's tearing a cover off the ball at triple A. But I, I would say, um, I think it's more likely Peraza than Volpe at shortstop to start the year. But until I see something differently, the thing is with IKF, they just gave him $6 million. So I don't think they're going to give him $6 million to ride the bench. So I think that he's yeah. either the opening day shortstop or he gets traded. And I, I think that's, that's a possibility that could definitely happen too. So I think that's where you are here in, in December. Uh, it, it could look a lot differently when you get to pitchers and catchers in February. Where does Oswaldo Cabrera fit into this? Everywhere. I, I think he, he's proven that 
he can do everything. And I think right now on paper, he would be one of your left fielders, but uh, I would feel comfortable if I'm the Yankees putting him at third base, at shortstop, at second, like whatever you need to do. He made some great plays on right field uh, this past year. And that's the thing. Uh, what really impressed me about him is it's a guy who hardly played the outfield at all. And I know they're professional athletes. They should be able to, to play the outfield, but it's not always that easy. And we've seen yeah. tons of guys try to go from the infield to the outfield and really struggle with it. He's not one of them. Uh, he's really a true utility player. So I think that um, he's on the team for me, put it that way. He's he's definitely part of your opening day roster. Where he plays, how many starts he gets, uh, is he just filling in for guys or is he an everyday regular? I, I think that remains to be seen, but he's going to be part of this mix. And so uh, Oswaldo Cabrera can, can rent an apartment safely in New York, I think. <laughs> I think he should be okay if he goes and does that <laughs> for April. I, I'm not biased, but he's a fellow Venezuelan, so... There is something. There you go. There you go. The more the merrier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thinking about all all of this, and there is a, I think the Yankees have a good problem in terms of finding out who's the lead of hitter for this team, you know? (laughs) And I know Judge can lead off. I mean, but who do you think they're going to set? Are they going to keep writing it like that? I don't know. I mean, you know, as of right now, if I had to write out a lineup, I think Judge is your leadoff hitter, but that's not the way I would want to do it. Um, you know, I, I think they did that last year because, well, down the stretch, they were trying to get him as many at-bats as they could. But even earlier than that, you know, one of the base, best on-base guys, but I feel like he hit so many solo homers there that you really lost some of the uh, the run production that you could have had out of that phenomenal year. So um, I, I think LeMayhew, if healthy, is your leadoff hitter. But that's a big if at this stage here. I think that with his bat to balls, he he, he fits the profile better to me than uh, than Judge does. But you know, you look around the league and guys like George Springer hit lead off and Mookie Betts, and um, so he, you know the days when a guy like Judge could only hit third or fourth in a lineup, those are over. And so um, you know, I guess you could hit Judge lead off, but that wouldn't be my first choice. Yeah, it, it seems like there's an opportunity there for somebody. And, and maybe that player's not even on the roster. Uh, maybe some of those players we discussed earlier could could fit into the mix there. But, uh, Brian, I'm wondering, who is one under-the-radar player who's currently on the 40-man roster that you think has a chance to make some noise and surprise us this coming season? Yeah, under-the-radar guys. Um, you know, one one guy that, and I was looking at the, the 40-man roster a little bit earlier here today, one guy that I think Yankee fans probably aren't too excited about just because his season didn't go that well, but the Yankees, I can tell you, their front office is Greg Weiser. And I think that, you know, he was on the, the roster, I believe, for the playoff series against the Astros. He wasn't on against Cleveland, but, you know, he's got big-time stuff. He didn't show it that much at the big leagues. I know he had a disastrous kind of first game there, but... Uh, he's a guy that the Yankees are are looking at as he could be an answer for them in, in the middle innings, in middle relief there. And uh, I think that he could definitely win a spot on the opening day roster and contribute this year. And got his feet wet a little bit last year. Like I said, it didn't go great for him, but uh, the stuff is there. And I know that during the postseason when they, the Yankees had their kind of taxi squad going, guys were really talking him up a, a bit, a lot in a situation where there was really no reason to be talking him up. So um, you know, I, I kind of tuck that away and uh, bring that into 2023 and keep an eye on that. All right. Yeah, that that's a good one. And I've I've heard his name 
uh, thrown around in some early fantasy baseball podcasts as a, a guy to watch. Uh, he, like you said, I, I was just looking up. He has. Uh, we look at. There's someone on Twitter who has a pitching stuff model, and Greg Weiser graded out as a, a 70 stuff, which is well above average. So a guy <laughs> definitely uh, to keep on the radar. So another good uh, piece of information there. But uh, Brian, we're going to get you out of here in a few minutes, but we're just going to do uh, a quick rapid fire segment. So just looking for a uh, short answer here. So uh, first one is your favorite road city to go to. There's so many. It's probably West Coast. Uh, Seattle is one of my favorites. Uh, San Francisco's up there too. I just got back from San Diego at the winter meeting, so I love that city. But Chicago's a great eating city. You know, a lot of these are what restaurants can I go to? Where do I like the hotel? You know, where yeah. am I comfortable? Uh, Kansas City is a great eating city, but uh, I'm going to say Seattle. You're out there on the bay. It's beautiful. You got those big, tall uh, trees everywhere. It's a cool city to walk around. The restaurants are great. The ballpark is great. Uh, I still call it Safeco Field, even though it's not. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Seattle. Seattle, I think, is my favorite road city just because it's one of those places where I, as a kid watching baseball, it seemed like so foreign. I mean, it seems like it's 10,000 miles away from New York City, and I just never felt like I would ever get there. And to now go there for work, and I've been there, I don't know, a dozen times, probably one one every year I've been on the beat. Um, it, it's a really cool city. It's got a cool vibe to, to explore, and uh, I like Seattle. Very cool. So. I was sure. Up. I was sure it was not going to be Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love. Well, I love San Francisco. Yeah. Unfortunately, the ballpark is in Oakland. You know, if yeah. the Yankees go play the Giants, that that's great. Right. I'm an Oakland fan, so I suffer a lot with that. <laughs> they, it's, it's just a shame. They they really need to get a new park. Everybody knows it. I mean, oh, that man. is the bottom of the barrel. People always ask me, you know, what's your favorite ballpark and then you know once in a while they'll say what's your least favorite ballpark you don't even have to think about it it's it's oakland it's the bottom of the barrel it's 30 out of 30 and it's not even close and yeah it's just a shame um you know because that that, that fan base deserves so much better yeah oh, for sure. carlos deserves a lot better absolutely oh, yeah. <laughs> all right so let's bring it back to new york uh, i wanted to ask you best place to grab a quick bite around the stadium i gotta be honest with you um it's not a lot. I mean, inside the ballpark, there's plenty of places to get, uh, you know, but walking around the, the ballpark there, um, you know, I, I there's been a few days where, you know, go out after a game and you get a beer at the Yankee Tavern, which is kind of cool, which is about a block north of the stadium. And, you know, just to know you're at the bar where Babe Ruth used to be, like, that's something cool to do. And uh, obviously, there's all the shops there under the, the railway there on uh, River Avenue. but um unfortunately there's not a lot of cool places to go eat i i haven't found them um uh, maybe somebody who's listening to this can point me in the right direction and tell me what i'm missing but um usually i i get my meal before i go to the stadium i'll eat at the stadium but not so much from the uh the surrounding area yeah and listeners if uh you have any good suggestions please uh send me the info but yeah, you know, I usually I, I end up just going to the McDonald's there, and I don't even go to McDonald's. I've, my house. I've spent more time at that McDonald's than I ever should have. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. There's also a Taco <laughs> Bell that opened recently, uh, mm -hmm. probably you know right before the pandemic. I think that Taco Bell opened there, so that that's an option if you're desperate. But 
I mean, we're talking McDonald's and Taco Bell. That's not exactly fine dining. <laughs> yeah. So basically what it means is they got to do something with that area and, and uh, improve. Somebody it. should definitely open a really good restaurant, put it right there by Yankee Stadium. Oh, forget and, it. Uh, you'll make be bank. a gold mine. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one is um, just going to ask you point blank. Yankees opening day, third baseman. <laughs> Yankee and fans aren't going to like it. Word, please. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think Josh Donaldson's your guy. I, oh, I think that, uh, yeah, um, the Yankee fans aren't going to like it, but I, I don't see anybody making a trade to take on that salary. And um, just based on the amount of kind of hype and, po- and, you know, positive words we've been getting from the front office, I really feel like they're gearing up to hope for a bounce back year from Donaldson. They're looking at all their little analytics that say uh, it wasn't as bad as you thought it was, but didn't look good. And, um, you know, man, especially during the postseason, it did not look good. Yeah, there's uh, those little analytics I don't think can mask what, what he did last year. <laughs> it, it was it was a mess. I mean, if they show up to opening day with IKF and Josh Donaldson trotting out there, um, let's put it this way. They better make a lot more moves uh, <laughs> to make the fans happy because it's going to get it's going to get ugly. Uh, all right. Last rapid fire question. Player you've most enjoyed covering during your time in there's a lot of them. Um, but I feel like as time has gone on here and I've been further removed from it, I've really come to appreciate. I'm gonna cop out here, I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna say Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. Just being there Ooh. every step of the way. And my first beat my first year on the beat was 2007. So I really got to see them wow. still in their prime. I got to see them continue on, win one more World Series, and, and be part of that kind of celebration in 2009 to just be around it, be a fly on the wall, um, see them prepare day in, day out, get to know them on a personal level. And I think I always appreciated it at the time. You know, I, I would watch Jeter get ready for a game and, you know, or talk to Derek, and I, I'd be like, I'd walk away. And, you know, we had a professional relationship where, you know, I, I need to talk to him every day, but I would still, in the back of my mind, be thinking, you know, this is like talking to Joe DiMaggio. Like, people are going to look back on Derek Jeter as right. this historic all-time Yankee, and the same with Mariano. And, um, you know, now that they've retired and, and just getting to see them a little bit now in the second phase of their lives, and it's kind of, you know, the story is is closed here, and we know what they are. They're in Cooperstown. They actually have their plaques side-by-side, which is really cool. Um, I, I think just the fact I was there for – a, a big part, a big part of their story, and got to see it firsthand, and see how the greatest in the game prepared every single day, and what they were like in the clubhouse and uh, with her teammates. I, I think that it's a tie for me with Derek and Mariano being there. Uh, you're not going to see that again. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I feel yeah. like you're never going to see anybody like them again, teammates like that again. And I'll throw the whole core four in there with Bernie Williams. It should be a core five, but. Um, yeah, I, you're just not going to see anything like that again. So um, now more removed from that, it, I've really come to appreciate how cool that was. Yeah. Yeah. Even just as a fan, I just feel like uh, privileged to have grown up with those guys as like, you know, my team. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, something that we're we're probably not going to see again. I actually heard you on another podcast uh, talk about Mariano, tell a story about how he gave you some advice regarding your uh, uh, your girlfriend at the time. And that's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, that's right. We were in Kansas City, and I don't know why somebody must have told him that I was dating 
this girl and was uh, had not popped the question and wasn't even close to popping the question. And he kind of threw an arm around me and gave me like a 10 minute counseling session about how to, you know, the importance of marriage and what that meant. And like, uh, I certainly didn't ask him for the advice, but the fact that he kind of showed interest in me just as, not as a reporter or just one of the guys in the room with a microphone, but like as a human being, uh, that was cool. And I think that kind of speaks to who he is. Uh, the fact he'd right. take that time for a guy that he didn't really know that well outside of pre a professional setting. Um, it, I think it speaks to how he treats people in his everyday life. Yeah, that that sounds like a Mariano thing to do. Uh, yeah, just greatness uh, that you were able to witness with that team. And you're seeing that now, too, with like the next generation. Right. And you um, I began the podcast by uh, plugging your book, uh, the upcoming Thank book. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, on, uh, on Aaron Judge, which I can't wait to read. But I was wondering if you could uh, kind of give us an interesting story or tidbit from the book that, um, you know, will uh, further encourage us to. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much um, I could show you here, all the research materials I got that I've been digging through. I, I mean, there has been no off season for me. I've been going through every every box score and, uh, you know, every everything I can find on Judge and uh, 1961 and tying them together with Maris. But um, I, I guess one little teaser I'll give you today. Uh, earlier today, I was on the phone with Bobby Rich, who's one of the, the last remaining oh. members of that 1961 Yankees team. And we were talking about not just Roger Maris, but also Judge and his connection there and trying to tie the two things together. I mean, because that's what you got these three great Yankees right fielders. You got Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, and Aaron Judge, all three of them played the same position at Yankee Stadium, set home run records. I think that's just so cool that that happened there. And Bobby Richard was telling me about, I guess he went to an old-timers game uh, a couple of years ago, and he actually got to meet Judge. And he said Judge was one of the few guys who actually came out of the clubhouse and talked to the old-timers. A lot of the guys were just in the clubhouse doing their own thing. But Judge actually came out and showed interest in the old-timers, wanted to get to know them on a one-on-one -on -one level. and. Um, Richardson was telling me he looked up at Judge and he said <laughs> his neck was going straight up like uh, like I'm doing right now. And he said, "Wow, you're as tall as I thought you were on TV." And uh, but he was saying that yeah, yeah, they were watching every pitch of it. So you know, obviously the the Maris family was there at the end, and um, so the the old timers were really pulling for Judge. They think that uh, he should be the next captain, and um, they they were happy to see him come back, but. Uh, they're, they're having a hard time wrapping their mind around $360 million because uh, <laughs> Richardson was telling me that uh, his first salary in the big leagues was five grand. And uh, the oh, next wow. year he got a, he got a raise up to about seven grand. So uh, and he spent most of that on a color TV. So uh, it's just cool stuff. It, it, totally, totally different time. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of tying that all together because I think it's uh a great piece of not just Yankee history, but baseball history too, that we, we all just lived. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to it. And this is your, is this your fourth book now? This is four. Yeah. I had uh, baby bombers and then uh, mission 27 and then, which I co-wrote with Mark Feinstein and then Bronx zoom. So this is four cranking them out. Um, but the Yankees keep doing historic things. So we have to keep writing books about it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, you are uh, one of the hardest working guys I, I see here in the industry. So uh, we really appreciate you, you. you taking some time to uh, yeah. talk to us today. Um, if you could just let our listeners know where they can um, find you on Twitter and, and where they could find any other work that you, you want to plug. 
Sure. Um, yeah, Twitter is uh, Brian Hoke. My name, that's easy, at B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-C-H. Uh, same on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Brian Hoke MLB. And, of course, read uh, read everything at MLB.com and Yankees.com. All right. Very good. Thank you again, Thank Brian. You. We are going to take a quick break. You got it, guys. Welcome back. We are here, me and Carlos, here to break down our interview with Brian Hope, um, talk about our takeaways, and also talk about some ADP and, and take a deeper look at some of the players, uh, some of the Yankees that we are interested in uh, for fantasy. So I'm going to start out by asking you, Carlos, what were some of your major takeaways from the interview? Well, I think it was a really interesting interview. I think Brian was really, really um, clear in on most of the stuff and, and he gave us good insights and a lot of things. But I think for me, as, uh, from a fantasy baseball perspective, is Clay Holmes. I think, I think the, 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 he, he, he has no doubts about, about him being the, the closer for the Yankees' health permitted right and, and and that applies for for anyone these days right so i think that's one of the biggest takeaways that i'm having here and um those that had already drafted i think he's he's, he's being scooped uh, really consistently so they're going to be happy uh, about hearing that, that uh brian adam on, on him being the the closer yeah, he's he's kind of going in that third tier of closers. If I look at uh, ADP, Clay Holmes as an ADP, and this is uh, according to NFBC. I did just draft champions because I know they have these gladiator leagues now, and yeah. ADP might be a little uh, little skewed or different because of that. So I just looked at draft champions leagues, which are more I guess traditional formats uh, since November fourth, and he's going at an ADP of one twenty seven. So. I think that's a very fair price for him. Uh, and yeah, I think that was sure. interesting how adamant he was, uh, almost 100% sure that he's going to be the the closer at the beginning of the year. And he did say Loisiga, uh would be the handcuff. I don't know. It seems like there's the Yankees have been a little hesitant to really just give him the job. So we'll see. I, I think there's a lot to play out there as, in terms of high leverage behind Clay Holmes. But uh, again, yeah. it seems like he's a, a pretty safe bet there, at least to start the year. And uh, he had some injuries last year. He had some back issues. So that may be scaring some people away, but he was really good when healthy. So uh, another thing, and kind of sticking with the bullpen here, he mentioned Greg Weiser. And I don't know if, if he might factor in at some point down the road in, in high leverage, uh, but he certainly has the stuff to do so. So he seemed pretty confident about him playing uh, a role on this team this coming year. And like I said in the interview, I've heard some people talk about him. Uh, I think Ryan Vanasio actually was listening to a podcast that he was on and he brought him up as kind of a late, you know, a guy going past pick 700 in, in these draft champions league. So the interesting name uh, to keep an eye on there. So let's, uh, let's transition fully into this ADP discussion. And we've kind of, I've, toss this question to you and Mike in all of our previous episodes. Uh, but I'm yeah. wondering, which Yankee are you most interested in at ADP and why? I mean, the, the, 
the newer Yankee Carlos Rodon just got uh, way more interesting, right? But that that should yeah. that could be the the you know the easy answer if if we think about it because his value just and especially with all those the, as it's so hard to get wins and 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 having the the you know the Yankees behind you it's always it's always a good way to get those w's that are not so easy to get and Rodon should should get plenty of them than when he was with uh, with uh, Chicago or San Francisco right um but to be honest if you ask me I, and I would go with one that might surprise you and that would be Gleyber Torres you know and and this is the thing I, I think he's like 120 something 25 26 the last time I checked. And um, he, I mean, second base is not really, not very easy to feel in, in, in fantasy baseball. Sometimes you have the top guys and then they, just like third base these years, is there are little shallow uh, positions here. If you look at, at Glaver, I think, Yes, he had a, a great beginning, and then he went a little off. As you mentioned, really, really clearly, the expectations maybe were too high. But the way I see it is that he only has one way to go, and that's up from from now on. And that means that he could have a really solid twenty twenty three. The the only thing that I'm worried is that he's not a Yankee by by when the season starts and and. Uh, that could be a problem, right? Uh, because you 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 want to be in a, in a lineup where Aaron Judge is batting and and give protections to everyone else, and you have Rizzo who is always great protecting other players. But I think Labor Torres is is a good. If you ask me, one of the uh, could be a surprise Yankee acquisition for for your teams next year. I'm with you, man. And, and I think you, I think I made my feelings clear on Glaber during the interview. Like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why people are just kind of down on him. And, and I see all these rumors about the Yankees wanting to trade him. And I don't really see like a huge reaction from the fan base. And again, just scratching yeah. my head. I mean, we're talking about a 26 year old player. Uh, it's not like we're, he's well past his prime. Like, he's just entering. You know, he right. hit 24 home runs as a 21-year-old. So it, it feels like he's been around forever, but he is still squarely in the middle uh, of, you know, his development. Like, he could take a, another step, right? Like, maybe maybe he did benefit from the happy fun ball in, in 2019. Maybe that power was a little bit of an illusion. But I still think, you know, just if we go off of last year, that's still a really solid player. And when we're talking about it sure. specifically from a fantasy angle, I mean, he really he could be a five category contributor. He's not like a huge stolen base guy, but right now Steamer hasn't projected. It was double digits, ten. Right, right. He gave you double digits. Yeah, he had um, ten. Uh, yeah. yeah, last year. Just in case you know people don't have this uh, off the top of their head, he had twenty four home runs. 10 stolen bases and the 257 average. So wasn't lighting the world on fire, but a solid line, especially for what you paid for him. And it doesn't seem, again, like people are are that excited. He's his ADP currently, like you said, is around 125. So he's going 40 picks after Andre Semenez. 
almost 50 picks after Tommy Edmond, 60 picks after Trevor Story. And if you plug Glaber's projection into an auction calculator, he actually grades out as more valuable than Jimenez, more valuable than Trevor Story, more valuable than Edmond. So I, I think there's a little bit of a buying opportunity here. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I feel like people are just a little too influenced by what we thought of Glaber when he first came up. So I, I like that answer a lot. You brought up Carlos Rodon, and yeah, it, it seems like that is the easy answer. I think a lot of people now, you're going to see yeah. his ADP rise. He's going around pick 50 now, but he's going to have the Yankee tax. And I'm already seeing people on Twitter talking about him being a lefty in Yankee Stadium and how he's going to neutralize the the right field porch. So there's going to be some helium there. But let's just say he goes up to around pick 40. I think that's probably realistic. Garrett Cole is going, pull this up here, going around pick 19. So at their respective prices, who would you rather have right now, Cole or Rodon? Um, I, I like the idea of having a second round Cole. You know, uh, uh, if that that's, I mean, I, I, he had an off year for his standards, uh, and, and but he's still a stud man, and, and Cole just case everyone he. Puts inning after inning, he he's as reliable as you can get. I, I mean, uh, um, and getting him in the second round, I think that 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 that's pretty cool. I'm usually a, a first round pitcher drafter. To be honest, I, I I I don't do that frequently, but getting Gary Cole in the second round, I think that's something you have to take it. And and at 19, that's where you it, he's going now. So I, I I think I would go for him instead of Rob. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. Given uh, Cole's track record and uh, more, frankly, Rodon just hasn't been doing this that long, right? And there's been a lot yeah. of concerns with his health in past years. So I think from a skills perspective, they're probably in a similar range, but I think Cole kind of wins out and will have the higher ADP just because of the stability and, and uh, All right. the yeah. number of 200 inning seasons that he's given you. Um, it is interesting, though. Garrett Cole last year was pretty much what he was. I, I know there were some home run issues. The ERA was a little bit elevated. But if you peel that back, the skills were were pretty much the same as they've been since he's been a Yankee. But you see now, I mean, he was going in some cases, like top five last year, and now he slipped almost a full round. So just just an observation, yeah. it seems like pitching in general, there's a general consensus that pitching is deeper, it's easier to find. So even these top-line guys are are being pushed down a little. I don't know if that's right or wrong, or but uh, just just an observation there. But let's, let's move to another member of the rotation who won a lot of people leagues last year, and we're talking about Nestor Cortez. So uh, this is a, a new segment that we want to introduce. Just we we want to spotlight one player from each team, and I I think Nestor is a good one because people have questions, right? Is is last year is the success he had is that sustainable? So, uh, Carlos, you're you're a pretty smart guy, man. You have your own uh, uh, model that you use called Specs. So you know to uh, evaluate pitchers. So tell us a little bit about 
Nestor Cortez and and how specs and what specs thinks about him. I think I've told you before, but I'm going to make you talk to my wife about me being smart, so <laughs> you you can put a good word on me. Already. Absolutely, man. <laughs> so Nestor Cortez, the the man that can you know do everything, and no one knows how does he do it. You know, he, he's he's surprising, and, and and I have to admit that I I I, I didn't believe in him anyway. I think I wasn't the only one, right? He he, he took everything. And he appeared out of nowhere, apparently, and he's doing great things. He he ended the year with a 2.44 ERA and a sub sub one WHIP 0.92. So the, those are league winners for a guy that pitches almost 168 innings, right? He did that volume, and uh, for and those ratios are just golden to, uh, for any for any pitching rotation in fantasy. And he added 12 wins, which is great for being a Yankee, for sure. So he's, he's like the full package. People, and I, I, I've read some comments that people is a little concerned that he looked like running out of gas at the at the end of the year. And actually, his value was down in in his last three um, starts. He but what what i want to people to to look at is that he started really slow too in terms of velocity and he he was a little up and down all the way through the year and that means that he doesn't realize on on, on having this absolute blasting heater he he just doesn't need it he doesn't need it he he can do a lot of his stuff without but and he, we're gonna see those up and downs, and that was the same in 2021. So I, I would not be uh, concerned in that regard. Uh, when I look at other peripheral things like K minus walks, keys doesn't look you know so uh, outstanding like every other pitcher. He, he just was barely on 20 percent and K minus walk percentage, which is good but not you know just crazy he had a 20 percent csw uh but the thing with nestor and that's where i want to to focus here is the way he dominates the uh, or the way he makes batters swing to pitches outside of the zone and that that's one of the things he does better than most guys and the ability to also when he wants he puts the ball inside the zone. So that's a, a good uh, combination that's really good. Um, I use this metric, metric called specs, which just takes five different other stats, K-walks percentages, CSW percentages, and the combination of swings, out, swings outside of the zone and pitches in the zone. And... I use a ERA estimator called PCRA, which is really, really good. It's like an advanced version of of uh, Sierra and all these other uh, estimators, and that was developed by a guy that now works for the Houston Astros, um, Connor Kirkham. And and this PCRA is an estimator that works with barrels and barrel barrel percentages, and it's. Nestor is quite good at making people 
um, not hit the ball square, and quite good making batters swing to outside pitches. And that's all he needs to keep doing next year. He doesn't need a, a huge hit. By specs, next Nestor was the 20th starting pitcher in majors. Better than Lance Lynn, better than Joe Musgrove, better than um, or close to, not, not better, but close to Max Fried. And, and, and that's crazy to me because you don't expect those, those high um, rankings for Nestor close to those guys. But I think Nestor is going to have a great 2023. If anyone wants to check the, the little board that I use for specs, just in my bio, the, they can find the link to, to the little board. And I'm more than happy if anyone has any questions regarding it on Twitter to, to talk a little bit more about it. Don't, my, my final word on Nestor would be don't be worried about the ups and downs in his velocity. Nestor doesn't need that. As long as he keeps doing what he is good at, uh, making people swing at, at outside pitches and putting the ball in the zone whenever he wants, he's golden in my, in my book. That was awesome, man. Thank you. Yeah, and and uh, thanks for sharing a little bit of, about specs, and definitely go check out Carlos's uh, Twitter page because he has the link to the leaderboard uh, in his description there. So awesome stuff. Uh, really, the thing with Nestor too. I mean, I don't know how much swag is in your model, but uh, he's got, <laughs> and uh, I think yeah, you know, all it of it gives him a little extra boost and with the mustache. I think that's just a killer combination. But uh, anyway, we are going to move on to our next segment here, uh, which is a numbers game, which we've done past few episodes. So switch it up a little bit, because last time it was just like Mike floundering around and, you know, not knowing uh, the answer to the question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out a number and I'm going to give you two options. And you got to guess which one is correct or which one that number applies to. So we're going to continue here with Nestor Cortez um, as one of the options. So the number is 232. And my question to you, Carlos, is, is that Nestor Cortez's BABIP from last year, batting average in, on balls in play, or the amount of strikeouts that Joey Gallo had? <laughs> I think it could be both, but I, I, I'm... <laughs> I uh, I have to admit that, that I cheated here because I, while I was preparing the, the stuff for Nestor, I saw the Babbitt, so I know I know it's two thirty two. His his Babbitt. Right. Yeah. You, you are correct. I you know <laughs> I, I just I wasn't sure about the Gallo thing. I thought it would be believable enough, you know. So I went back and looked. I think he had around like one sixty, but got to remember that he wasn't a full time player by the end of the season, and yeah, uh, I think he struck out like almost forty something percent of his at bats. Just what disaster that was. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so 232 was Nestor Cortez's BABIP. League average, as many of you know, is 300. So I guess that's one thing that really sticks out to me uh, when I'm evaluating Nestor. I think he's still going to yeah. be good. I think there's still a lot there, a lot to like, uh, like you mentioned uh, earlier. But I think there was definitely some some good fortune. You know, and I think we're looking at probably the best season of his career. But listen, I doubted the guy when he started off strong. I'm like, ah, this guy's not going to keep it up. But he kept proving people wrong. And 
you know, well, I, I'm hoping that he proves me wrong. Um, yeah. So, anyway, we are going to move on to the second. Just, just yeah, one thing on, on Nestor there, uh, Chris, is that, yeah, we, we, I, I, people should have not expect that two, 242, 244 ERA again. That, that's that's a, a career year for, yeah. for him. But one thing regarding his BABIP is that, yes, the league average is 300, but what I found is that players players regress to most mostly to their career average mm -hmm. and Nestor's is 266 of course influenced by last year uh 232 so uh there is not that huge difference with his career uh, average his career baby right so yes there's going to be absolutely regression but might not be that that huge after all you just shut me up, man. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love it. I love the pushback. And yeah, I, I think that's such a good point, too, that we kind of have this number 300 as as the average in our mind. But we also have to consider that some players do have not many, not many, but some players do have an ability to uh, suppress hard contact and uh, yeah. their their BAPIP is is naturally just going to be lower. So, yeah. Really good point. So, listen, man, I'm going to have to get you. Have you seen, like, the Nestor Cortez shirts on Rotoware? Uh, <laughs> they have him as, like, Super Mario. Like, I think I may have to get that. You you like Nestor quite a bit. I love it. <laughs> so, anyway, moving on. Our next number is 1,142. So, two options are, was that Aaron Judge's OPS against righties last year? Or was that the amount of times that IKF weekly grounded out and I threw something at the TV last year? I'll go with that just for yeah, fun. Yeah, no, it, I counted. It, it was a little lower. It was it was only eleven hundred uh, times he did that. Oh my god, what a what a nightmare! I can't believe he's back. But uh, uh, it actually though it was uh, Aaron Judge's OPS against righties, which is number one in the league. I mean, there's not much to say about the guy. That's why we didn't spend a ton of time talking about him. Yeah. Because what what are you going to say? He's just <laughs> he's unbelievable. Uh, what it, what really you know we're not going to really gain anything by doing a statistical breakdown of him at this point. Yeah. Um, the only thing that matters is his price, and the price has obviously gone up quite a bit from last year. He's now going squarely in the first round, uh, round pick five. So I got to ask you, Carlos, are you comfortable with Aaron Judge at that price? You have to, you have to, man. He's he's the superstar, and I, he's not gonna hit sixty-two homers. But what about if he hits forty-eight? That's that's. Just, Are you gonna just, say what if he hits seventy-four? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he could. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But but I mean, forty-eight homers is just amazing, you know. And and he will provide some stolen bases, double-digit stolen bases, a great batting average, Huge. which which I. I believe we don't talk enough about these guys providing this huge batting average, especially in that depressed uh, in this depressed era of, of batting average. Right? We need those guys to to pump up our batting averages in our team, so they're really valuable. So uh, yes, for sure, you have to take judge. I don't have to do anything. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. I'm a little mixed. Yeah, I love Judge, obviously, as a, as a fan and just watching him. But and maybe this is silly, 
I know there's just such a debate around injury and his size and can he stay healthy as he gets older? Um, I don't know. He's probably, he's probably not someone I'm going to have on a lot of teams. I'll say it that way. I, I can understand absolutely the argument. And I think what you said about the stolen bases, uh, and maybe I just need to get over like this perception, like Aaron judge is just a slugger. Like, nah, man, he, he was aggressive last year. Double-digit stolen bases. Uh, Brian Hoke mentioned that he sees the Yankees continuing to be aggressive. Uh, that is just part of like their organizational philosophy, which was really successful last year. Right. Um, so, you know, and with the bigger bases, who knows? Maybe he hits twenty uh, stolen bases. So, uh, I, I get it. It's weird. I talked about this in another episode. I'm just. I'm more reluctant for some weird reason to draft Yankees on my fantasy team. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. I don't, I, I'm going to have like a bias. <laughs> I, right, I right. end up with like no Yankees on my team as a result right. of that. So, but, um, but it's yeah. a good thing of rooting for Oakland. You don't have very you good don't have players to worry about there that because the there's no one yeah. to draft on that team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right. So moving on to the next one, uh, 37 million. That is the number. Is that, the amount of money remaining on Aaron Hicks's contract or the combined value of all of my <laughs> El Duque rookie cards. I just, hope that, news, Carlos. I just hope that that's your cards. And you, yeah. you, you just remember about your friend in Costa Rica, but um, yeah, I'm going to go with Hicks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I might be a little disappointed when I actually look up the value of those El Duque cards. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it'll be something I pass on to my kids. And, yeah, uh, never know. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> Aaron Hicks, man, thirty-seven million on that contract. What? Uh, there's just a lot of bad moves that have been made in recent years, and he's right at the top of the list. Carlos, if we held a 100 team league <laughs> draft where you had to start 20 outfielders, <laughs> would you draft Aaron Hicks in that format? Me? No. But I, I, I want to know. <laughs> I'm going to go with your option of Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla, baby. <laughs> I, I'll take him over Aaron Hicks at this stage of their career. I, it just can't. I can't see him. There are three guys. If I see Hicks, Donaldson, and IKF trot out there on opening day, I don't care who they get. I, I'm just going to not. And I think the fan base feels this way. Like, yeah, They're just not going to be happy until they shed some of this dead weight. From that oh, team. for sure, for sure, that, so, that that needs to happen, man. That yeah. needs that. So I just wanted I just put that in there because I just want to bitch <laughs> a little bit. So all right, moving on to our last one. Number is four point four seven. Is that Frankie Montas's career road ERA, <laughs> or the amount of edibles that I consumed after Game Four of last season's ALCS loss to the Astros? <laughs> Well, that's better than Sanex or something like that. But I, yeah, right. That's a better option. But I'm gonna go with with, with Montes. Okay. But, yeah. but I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. 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 I'm still. Yeah, the only reason it, it wasn't the latter, it, I didn't have him available, but uh, I needed it. That was yeah. quite possibly the most depressing Yankee yeah. game I had ever watched. I mean, they were just so overmatched. And it was yeah. just like, I don't know if you remember that game. It was 
they had a bunch of rain delays. The game didn't end till like after midnight. It was yeah, it was, it was a terrible game game. all in all for Yankee. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was just a horror show. So, <laughs> yeah, I needed them, but I will be prepared next year in case we play the Astros again. Because <laughs> man, they're they're just so loaded now. They add Jose Abreu. I, I don't yeah, know. They're, they're incredible. Not, not looking yeah. great, but uh, quickly, Frankie Montas. We haven't talked about him much yet. What are your thoughts on him? Are you betting on a bounce back for him this time? Well, I think, and and I could put it in the same way that the Yankees are looking at it right now. He he's a fine SP five, yep. you know. Yeah, he's a, he's a great SP five with SP four, maybe SP three potential that would be a, maybe a reach, but but I think he's fair. He's fairly. Um, Valued for as for an SP five possible SP four. So, uh, if you keep your expectations like that, you you won't be disappointed or anything. You will get what you're you're paying. Yeah, um, I wouldn't put too much stock into what he did at the end of last year. You know, he had an injury. Yeah, and being traded mid season, he'd been in Oakland his entire career. I think we always have to consider that factor into how it affects these players so i think you give them a pass i i do i wanted to put that stat in there though because we also have to realize that montas pitched in easily the best pitchers ballpark in baseball so going to yankee stadium i'm a little concerned about that uh he's currently going at a adp of 204 and yeah, I guess he's probably at that price. He's like your SP4, maybe SP5. I'm probably not going there because while I, again, I don't put too much stock into what he did as a Yankee, I do think that maybe our perception of him is a little bit skewed by the fact that he was pitching in Oakland for all that yeah. time. What, what do you mm-hmm. think? And I'm sure you had plenty of opportunity to watch him. Sure. What are your thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sure the Yankees know. That that's what they paid for. They they know that he's not going to be, you know, uh, an ace or, or even a third, and that's why they they got Rodon. So he they pushed him at the bottom of the uh, of that rotation. And that that that's fair. That that mm-hmm. he's a guy that's going to help you go through the season. He's going to eat innings whenever you need it. But that that's pretty much about it. Yeah, from a fantasy perspective, at that price, I want a little bit more than that. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I think there are some guys that are more intriguing going around him. Um, I'll just give you a couple names. Trevor Rogers, we talked about as a potential bounce back candidate. He's going about a round later. Yeah. Patrick Sandoval, I know he didn't quite live up to expectations last year. Yeah. Uh, but Edward Cabrera actually is right above That's an interesting, That's one. An interesting yeah. name. That, that change up is sick. Cabrera's change yeah. up is sick. Yeah, you got yeah. Grayson Rodriguez going in that range. So, yeah, I'm probably, I don't know about those guys specifically, but I'm probably not going down that road with Montas at that price. Yeah. So anyway, that wraps up our numbers game. Good job, Carlos. I think, uh, I think you performed well. I Maybe they were a little bit easier this time. So I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you could compare poor, your performance to... Poor Mike. Um, poor Mike. Yeah, you, you right, were too, right. too harsh with him. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so our our last segment and, and something else new that we're going to try it's going to be non-baseball 
you know, we we do this podcast because really our goal is to give you guys information and gals information um, that you may not be getting in other places. And we want you to walk away from each podcast with a nugget or, you know, some some piece of advice or information that's going to make you a better player, get you more prepared for the upcoming season. Uh, but we also were thinking, because I, I know we all are, are passionate in our personal lives about like mental health and wellness and things like that. So maybe it's not like the you wouldn't expect that as part of a podcast, but you know, it's our podcast, so we can do whatever the hell we want. Um, <laughs> so at the end of each episode, we were just going to uh, spend a minute or two talking about one thing that we are doing to maintain our overall wellness, our mental health, physical health, and just kind of give it as maybe something that someone else who's listening um, may take and, and use in their lives and may benefit them. So, you know, not only are you walking away, hopefully, with something beneficial for you as a fantasy player, but just in general as a person. So that is uh, that's what we're doing here. So, Carlos, let, let's start it out. What What's one thing? That you personally, I know you got a lot going on, man. So you really need, <laughs> you need self care. You need to to yeah. be using some uh, some good strategies here. So what what are you doing to maintain your overall wellness, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, living uh, far away from your country and and sometimes not because it was uh, your first choice, but because you didn't have. Too many, many options that that takes a toll in, in on your on 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 your daily life on on, on the things that you have to deal with. But uh, one, I, I believe that the thing that that changed my life in terms of being prepared for for my whatever comes in front of us is to practice thankfulness, and 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 that's something that might sound like a cliche or or, or sometimes. People would say, "How? How? Sometimes you can't be thankful because life is too hard." Or, yeah, I, I'm not saying that you are just, you know, ignoring <laughs> your situations or your problems, right? Um, but just taking a couple of minutes daily, maybe in the morning or maybe when you're in your bed at, at uh, you're going to sleep, to you know, I'm thankful for because I'm in this next to the person I love and, 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 and I'm with my kids and they're healthy. You have to acknowledge the good things that happen in your life because there's a, too much negativity everywhere. And, and, and you, if you let that get into you, uh, that, that just accumulates in, in you and, and, and it makes having to deal with other things harder. So just trying to practice a couple of minutes. I'm a religious guy, so I do it during my prayers. But if you're not a religious guy, you can meditate around, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and and during your meditations, you can you can practice uh, 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 and acknowledging the, the small things that went well for you in that day. And that's, I think that can slowly have an accumulative effect of you know improving your general mood and, and the way that you face uh, of the things that that you have to deal every day and and for me honestly personally has been a game change mm-hmm. 
I love it, man. So well said. And listen, it's this is something backed by research. You know, people who who engage in uh, intentional, consistent gratitude practice, uh, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Taking a couple minutes, like you said, and just acknowledging the things, the good things in our lives, the things yeah. that we are grateful for. Um, that that's been proven to have really positive overall effect on our well-being so definitely i I mean nothing to add to that so well said so uh yeah just um maybe start out your day with that you know just just one or two things i know we're doing that with my daughter now um and i i do i i sense that that's really helpful for her it's almost become just part of her routine you know we go to bed all right what what do you feel grateful for what you know what made you smile today so you know it's easy it's it's easy to to lose track of those things sometimes so all right well we are going to leave it there i hope you guys enjoyed this episode we're going to take a little bit of a break here for the next couple of weeks with the holidays coming up uh gonna take some time to regroup and you know uh, evaluate what what we're doing and um we are open to any feedback so if, if you have anything any supportive uh or even critical feedback please feel free to reach out to us on twitter uh, but we thank you again so much uh, for being with us and all the support that we've we've gotten so far. So, unfortunately, we we didn't have Mike today. One of these no. days, you'll get all three of us. It's uh, tough with our schedules, but we are going to make it happen soon enough. But for Mike, yeah. for Carlos, for me, thank you so much for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.